Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Puzzling Company. Zach, a weird question for you. Okay. With our new digital episodes and the new music, I'm digging it. It was I was just listening to our old music, and it's kind of classic. Have you ever listened to it? Like... It's got some brass, it's got some violin, some bass in it. I'm just, I'm digging our musical options right now for the opening of the show. Yeah, they're both great. I think, I I just, I'm really enjoying them. Today, we have the pleasure of talking about Cards of Confound, a wonderful, puzzly, I would call it a challenge. I really wouldn't call it an adventure. Mm. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Hang on with us. We're coming right back. Hey friends, Jared here asking you to join our Patreon community. Monthly support is a great way to help us in our mission of growing the at-home puzzle and mystery world. So check out our show notes or go to patreon.com and search Puzzling Company and find the membership level that's right for you. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here in the first part of the show, we are talking about reviews. Zach and I have written up and thought about what we really think about the games, and we just want to talk it out, share it with you all. Now, before we do that, we always want to give a little bit of a description about the game that we played. So we played all seven cards from Cards of Confound. These are postcards, right, Zach? Mm. And what there's some unique factors that we've never seen before in these games. Yeah, the postcards are interesting compared to some of the ones we played before because this one just, they don't have any narrative. There's nothing narratively behind it. And every single other game that we've ever done has had at least a little. Yeah, this one, I mean, there's purely no narrative to this. And I think that's important to call out because we don't judge games by what they don't try to do, Mm -hmm. right? So I think it'd be really easier for us to say on this part, like, oh, there's no narrative. This game needs a narrative. This game doesn't need a narrative. No. That's not what the creator was trying to do. That's not what they put out there. And we're totally okay with that. Just in looking through all the games, we noticed that, hey, this... This is our first game without a narrative, and I, I think we're going to have some good discussions about that today. But, Zach, what did you like? Because I do think there is a lot to like about these series of seven postcards. Yeah, I really enjoyed the research element to these cards. It has, like, the classic puzzle hunt feel, very much presents puzzles on it that you have to make connections to, but also use outside resources to complete that information. It's definitely one of my favorite things. I know we've played other games that have somewhat of a puzzle hunt feel or are puzzle hunting, and I've always enjoyed the element of trying to I say master the knowledge but make the connections because I think that's sometimes the fun part of it for me is being like I have no idea what this means and then looking up and researching on Google or some website and trying to figure out oh that does kind of make sense with that and then it works I think and I think that's the part you're really good at because if you remember we've talked about this before in the puzzle hunt you're first trying to figure out what in the world is the puzzle yeah it's not very clear always and I think you do a really good job of that And then working the puzzle out can also be difficult as well, but you seem to be able to make those connections very well. Mm. It just comes, it's like natural to you. Like sometimes I I think on this, I sat back and watched sometimes and you were just in the zone because another unique factor about this game is we kind of split the cards up 
because there was no narrative for us to tie together. It was like, okay, you're going to take three. I'm going to take three. And then I'll meet you at the seventh, which is a meta puzzle. Mm. And it's fun to watch you because you're just, you're in the zone. You're like that scene from the accountant with all the numbers. Oh, you, yeah. You were like, that is, that is you in, in these type of games. Mm. The, the other thing I will say about this in terms of the research element is one of the big games that we're going to be talking a lot about this episode in relation to this is Enigma Emporium's postcard series. The first one we played, Wish You Were Here, but it felt very similar, but different, if if that makes sense. How would you, for our audience, like talk, how, how did it feel different to you? Yeah, it, they were different. I mean, there's a lot of the same elements. They are both postcards, they are puzzles. I think the difference, in my opinion, was a lot of the postcards in specifically this game were more, I would say there's a little bit more puzzle hunt in this than it was in the wish you were here. Just because I felt like a lot more of the information I had to look outside of the game to really find in these, at least the cards that I did, it felt like, but when I played wish you were here, some of more, some of it's more self-contained and there's a little bit more that fills up like the space of the card but you don't have to like explore as much or there's like some information. They even provide some of that information to you to help you make it simpler while this game didn't. It was on you to like find that extra connection. And I will say I thoroughly enjoyed also the narrative, you know, of the wish you were here versus no narrative of these. Yes. I will say I enjoyed looking at what they do a really great job of giving you an opening onboarding sheet and telling you how difficult each card is. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and instantly was like, Whenever we would split two cards, I was like, oh, Zach, yeah, I think you'd do a lot better at this more difficult Yeah, one. You, you gave me the hardest card by, like, I think most of them are like, you know, two and a half to three star, three and a half. And like, there's like a four, and then you go, here's the five here's star the card. Five star. You got it. It's just because I knew I wouldn't make as much progress on it with you. Like, I, would, I was going to have to be a hint burner on yeah. that card. Luckily enough, I didn't need to, but it, it was difficult. That's by far one of the most difficult series of puzzles I've had to complete in a shorter amount of time. Well, let's, let's talk about the puzzles then because I enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I enjoyed most about them, I want to see if you agree with is the puzzle masking of basic things that we run into in a lot of other games. And to me, that meant that these were incredibly thoughtful, well maneuvered puzzles. Agreed there. I don't want to talk too much about specific puzzles because I don't want to give away because if we tell you what they were meant to be, yes, then it yes. know, completely gets rid of that puzzle. But I know in the castle card that you had, as well as the nature one I had, there was an element to both that very early on I like never noticed. And then when we got to the point where it needed to be solved or like for mine, when I realized what it was, I it blew my mind that I didn't notice it. Not in terms of that it's like, Oh, uh, that's obviously what that puzzle is, but more that it masked it so well that I didn't question it until the time came up that I had already gained information connecting those two. Yes. So it very well thought out, especially since there's a lot of things in some of the cards that are used more than once, not in terms of like the same puzzle, like, but more like, oh, like on the nature card, there are flowers, right? That's not like a spoiler. There are no, flowers on the there card. There are flowers on the but card. But the, the, the flowers do a lot. And so with the trees and the numbers on, you know, like it's very clear that it was very well thought out being like, oh, well, you'd look at this and, you know, through testing, like they noticed this, but they didn't notice this, which is good because that's needs to be later found. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. It gave me again, it gave me a lot of vibes of wish you were here in that way that it felt very intentional. And the, and the layering of some of these puzzles just seems so intricate. I'm, I'm specifically thinking of 
the flower one again. Like yeah. that just seemed like it's it, it was very evident that there was a lot of work put into making these. And each card is not just it is one puzzle, but it has so many multiple layers and different sections, and then it requires you to bring all of that together. And they just, I just, yeah, you felt like you worked hard for it afterwards when Mm -hmm. it was all said and done. The last thing I want to mention is, uh, I will admit I was much more of a hinter on this game than Zach. I don't think Zach used any clues. I'll humble brag for him. On my cards, definitely, I think almost on all cards, I was using multiple hints because I just got to a point where I was like, nope, like Mm -hmm. I don't, and the hints were really good. But I noticed something on the last two cards that we played, wow. uh, and that was on the castle card and the flower card. When I was going through my okay. hints, there was this really great note from the creator that said, hey, if you're playing a later version, you'll notice this on your card, mm-hmm. and it was a sticker. And those were the only two cards that felt like they had something that wasn't just originally printed on them. Okay, But the creator in the hints was saying, this wasn't a part of the original version. We put this in here based on feedback to help make this puzzle more clear. That's really nice. I freaking love that so much. Like, thank you. We're going to get to know the creator later in the show, but like, thank you. You heard from the community and you made your product better, which as we have talked in many other episodes is a huge advantage of this type of medium. Fix Mm -hmm. it, send it out, let people know. I just, I, I was so encouraged by that, that it wasn't just, oh yeah, this first version Kickstarter version is going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. Like they care a lot. Yeah. And that, that meant a lot to me. Do you, I imagine you enjoy seeing stuff like that too. No, I agree. I definitely, I mean, not knowing that, like not looking at the hints and seeing that message, but you telling me about it and then thinking of what those were specifically like on the card I had, it is very thoughtful because it worked very well in helping you know, in my experience, not even thinking of other people's, but just like, it helped me make the connections easier, you know, because for a while I didn't get the connection, but then like reading specifically that thing helped me a lot in getting the full process done on like, like specifically, like I think the nature card had it and I remember finishing it and then I was like, oh, that makes sense why that was there. And now knowing that was added, that's great because if it wasn't there, I have no idea how I would have. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think you like, would that have been like an auto hint burn? Without that in place. Uh, so knowing one part of it, and I won't spoil what's on that, right? But I'd say part one, no. I don't think I would have been, I don't think I would have needed it. I think part two, to a degree, I would have. Only because I would, how I originally looked at it, it's just one of those things that, like anyone, you look at a puzzle a certain way. And if you can't make that like flip of inside versus outside the box thinking, that's how I describe it in escape rooms. But like, I just looked at the puzzle and I didn't get it at first, like at all. And I wasn't going to change my mind. And then when I, when it pointed to me that way and I looked at something else, it made it more obvious of like, oh, I'm supposed to do it this way, not that way. And I, I got it. So got you. I probably would have burned a hint specifically on one part of the nature card, not having known if that was not there, I would have probably burned at least one. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Let's move on to talking about room for improvements. Okay. There are not many in my opinion, for this game. No. Especially, I think, when you're just doing puzzles, the puzzles either work, they were masked well, but one thing kind of stood out to me, and I want to see if you agree with it, Okay, is that I felt like, and th- this is similar to what we talked about when we talked about to the Enigmas deck with David Kwong, I felt like it didn't engage the medium at all. It seemed very intentional that the creator put this on a postcard, mm-hmm. but 
this could have, in my opinion, been on a piece of paper. And I'm especially talking about the backsides. The fronts of the postcards are vibrant. They use up all of the space. But then you get to the back and it's clear that it is a postcard, but why did it need to be a postcard, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Agree or disagree with that? I mostly agree. Like when I look at some of the some of the cards, I think did use the space on the back well enough that it didn't feel like there was this like, like too much space left. I you could argue that that gives you space to write on them because that's ended up. I don't remember how Jared did, but if you look at my cards, like I'm looking at them right now, I wrote all over them. Sure. So having that space to write there, my information that I found, I think was useful. But if we're you know like same thing though, is you could argue that it being a postcard didn't truly matter. Yeah. And that was the only weird thing I felt. I just felt like there was room because if you look at the postcards, each of these like graphic art around the stamps is different. And we've seen other games that aren't just purely postcards that have postcards use the flavor and what you expect on a postcard to mean something, whether it's stamps or whatever. And these are meant to be actually mailed, right? Which yeah. is maybe the counter argument to what we're talking about here. Mm. But in looking at it, I was just wondering like, oh, like it's a postcard. It's, it's just a puzzle. I don't want to say it's just, it's a really good puzzle on a postcard, but that is, that doesn't mean anything. There's only, and I could be wrong by this. So if anyone wants to correct me, it is totally fine. I don't remember being, there being many puzzles that actually revolved around the postcard element. Yes, that's fair. That is the hard part. Cause like when you do compare to like the wish you were here series, there were tons of puzzles that were specifically around like postage yes. or writing that was used for like sending the mail or the addresses and stuff like that. So it felt like it mattered that it was specifically postcards. Like it made sense. I mean, obviously there was a narrative with that game, but it sure. made narrative sense as well as made sense with the puzzles, why it specifically needed to be postcards. Absolutely. While this game, they look great on postcards and their elements there. If there was a puzzle, there's like maybe one or two in total that involved it needing to be a postcard, but the rest, it could have been on paper, like you said. And I agree. It could have just fine. been, it could have been just done digitally. It could have been done other ways and mm -hmm. come out the same way. The only thing I will say is that there is theming. Oh yeah. There's e theming to each of each the cards. Each card has, you know, the C card, the castle card. Nature, letters. And it, and it does hold true stars. to that. Yeah, yeah. Star, it does hold true to the theme. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I personally just felt like it was a missed opportunity to engage the medium and then therefore elevate the entire experience. Sure. That's really all that we have though. This is a great, in my opinion, kind of pick up, put down. We actually played these seven cards over the course of what, three different sittings, three different days. Yeah. We played the first, so we opened them up and we did one card each like on the first day. And then we had to go, we had some stuff we had to do. And then we played another one and we played most of them except for the final three being one year. I had the nature card, you had castle and then yes. the, the meta card. And then today we, you know, before we recorded this, actually, we, we played the we last played three. It up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. That, that really is going to wrap us up though. Hang on. We're going to have a really fun conversation about these style of games in puzzles to the people. We'll be right back. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Puzzlers, we need your help. We need you to leave us a five-star review so that more people can find us. It doesn't matter if you prefer the black and electric green of Spotify or the medley of pink and blue at Apple. 
go to wherever you listen to this podcast, click that five-star rating, and let's grow our community together. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section called Puzzles to the People, and we're having another great discussion today, Zach. Oh? I know you're just beaming over there. Yes. Because yeah, you never know what's coming your way. This one is, you could probably guess, I want to go back to talking about puzzle games with no narratives. Interesting. We haven't talked about this, but I feel like we have. We, it's because we've talked about narratives so much that inevitably we we've have talked about if there wasn't. Any, yeah, we've I mentioned guess. it here and there, but we've never been fully confronted. Again, I'll bring up Enigma's deck by David Kwong, but that had this overarching story once you got into the puzzle hunt part of it. Correct. About a, a, a certain location. But this is unapologetically no narrative, the game that we have today. Mm. And honestly, that's where our world got started. You know, what came first, the puzzle or the puzzle narrative? The puzzle. Yeah. You know, and only, you know, over the course of the last couple of decades have we really seen a fusion of those two things. Mm. But I want to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Did not having a narrative in Cards of Confound, did that take away from the experience? Did that bother you? Did you feel like it was unelevated because it did not contain a story? No. I think you can have just a puzzle game and it not matter if there's a narrative or not. You know, we did play other games that have done some of the same thing in terms of like, like I said, we've talked about this game a lot, but wish you were here. Yes. Just because specifically that one has somewhat of the same format and that one does have narrative. Now playing that one first and then playing these, you know, I do compare the two just because you're going to naturally do that with any game you play. If you play one that's somewhat similar, no matter if you agree or not, you will compare them. Yes. So, you know, I think of the other game and I'm like, oh, well, there is a narrative to that one. And I enjoy it because there was a narrative. It, But it doesn't mean that I, I personally like narratives. But in this game, it didn't matter to me. Because when you told me it was just cards and then I realized there's no narrative, it is purely on me just to solve puzzles. Which then I didn't question. It didn't bother me at all. So I don't think it, it took away anything for me knowing there wasn't a narrative. I think what could be worse is if a game tries to do a narrative with a game like this and they don't do it well. It's the same with anything. It's either you have to go all in and make it good or don't. And I think this game is perfect for that reason because it doesn't try to add a narrative to something that doesn't need one. I agree. I'm with you on that. I enjoyed this game for what it was, and it was really good thematically approached puzzles, Yeah, which is really interesting to me because very rarely do we see this style of thematic puzzling outside of story. Right? Like, if we think about puzzles that exist just for puzzles, what do you think of? I think of word searches, crossword puzzles, jumbles. Very rarely have people gone out of their way to make themed puzzles of this style just to have them. Yeah. And I liked it. Like, I I, I wish this was kind of its own genre, like puzzle hunty themed. And, and maybe as we play more puzzle hunts, that will become apparent if there's no story. But I just, I liked that. Like, I liked that it was escape roomy, puzzle hunty puzzles. But you didn't have to engage yourself in any type of narrative. But now I want to ask you this. Okay. Do you have a preference? Do you prefer narrative with your puzzles? Or do you more often than not, is solving a puzzle just as a puzzle what you would rather do? Mm. Not, no right or wrong. Just what do you, what do you like? It's hard. I'm very much a big narrative person. I do like my stories. It is hard, though, 
because I could argue that my two favorite experiences so far in terms of that I think I do well in require no narrative at the time. It's very interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I enjoy the narrative stuff. I really do. But I am weirdly good at things in terms of I enjoy my puzzles that I'm best at don't require narrative. They're just doing puzzles. I almost wonder for you if like the narrative gets in the way of you putting your full focus on a puzzle. Because again, you always do really well when we play these style of games. And I wonder if it's because, you know, oh, your love of narrative isn't there and you can just dive headfirst into the puzzling part. Yeah, it is interesting to think about. I mean, like I said, I I guess if you're asking me at the end of the day, I think I like narratives more with puzzles because I enjoy narratives, especially if they're well done. I just really connect with a lot of those types of stories or want to just because that's like the type of content I enjoy. But if you ask me what I'm better at, I think it is games purely with no narrative because like you said, it is purely a... Time to test my brain. Sure. So better at those style of games, but you don't have a preference between. No, I'll play either. Okay. Totally fine. Mine waxes and wanes. And I've noticed this a lot lately in the video games I'm playing. Okay. But there are times where I really want an engaging narrative in a puzzle style game to drive me through. And then there's sometimes where the narrative almost feels like a hindrance. Like the narrative is going to eat up too much of my time and I really just want to get to the puzzle material. That's hilarious. Cause I completely agree. If I, we've talked about these on the show, but I'm just going to say in general, there are two games I play. I used to play most often. One I'm, I'm just going to say is wow. Slash final fantasy in terms of, I enjoyed the narrative. I always read into it, wanted more, you know, final fantasy is more than wow in terms of narrative, but you know what I mean? Like I enjoy those and I watch people play through the game again so I can watch people's reactions to the story. Yes. Right. Cause that's, it's just fun for me to experience that. But my other favorite game in terms of wasting time ever is specifically either ARAM and league of legends or playing zombies and all the like call of duty games. Yes. And you're asking why I love literally turning my brain off and spinning in circles, killing zombies. There's, <laughs> there is a narrative to that game. And I like looking into it, but when I play zombies, I don't think of the narrative. I'm just running in circles, killing zombies because it lets my brain turn off and just have fun. Yes. So I think it's the same in these types of games where like, it was honestly refreshing playing this game because I didn't have to like think about the narrative or keep the storyline in my head. It was just do puzzle. And I think as a creator, it allows you, I don't want to say it's easier, but it, it allows you a little more freedom to build whatever you want. Yeah. Right. As I look through the wall and think through some of the games that we played, I'll say this. I want to see if you agree with this. Okay. Some of our less story and oriented games have had more of our complex puzzles. True or false? Agreed. Can you what what are some of the examples that you're thinking through? Because I'm I have a couple. Like this is obviously a good example. Gruzzle is another one that has story but I feel like is more puzzly. Same thing with like conundrum box. Some of the games that have had more of my favorite deeper puzzles, they're a little lighter on narrative. I don't think that is like, you know, gospel truth. Like it's all, that's always the case. It's this, it's not a teeter totter that if you lay more on narrative that you can't have complex puzzles. Cause I also think of light in the mist and that had some pretty deep puzzles in it. But more often than not, I feel like that's the case. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree with it. I mean, my other comparison of a game I'm looking at on the wall would probably be Legend of Game of Maps. Hmm. Because that game does have a narrative to some degree. And I mean, it does, but 
most of the puzzles aren't narrative based. I mean, there there is in terms of like you're trying to make connections of where something is. But like when I look at the board or I look at our wall and I look at the puzzles that I thought were the most unique in that game in terms of it being more difficult, they're not narrative based. They're these complex like you don't need to know the story behind them to do them. That's if that fair. makes sense. In my opinion, I could be wrong, right? Yes. What else about narrative games or no narrative games is really engaging to you? Or is there anything else about them that you'd say, like, that's a little bit of a turnoff for me? Interesting question. I think we mostly covered what I thought. It's mostly a thing of that I really am intrigued by what puzzles they can present to me when it comes to ones with no narrative, because I almost, if I know there's no narrative, I expect great puzzles. So now it's almost like the expectation of see if it's met in my head. Interesting. You know, because I think with narrative, like you said, sometimes, and maybe that's just a fault of playing certain games and expecting certain things when there is a certain style of game or narrative or experience that I almost want it to at least match an experience I've had before or better. But it was intriguing being like, okay, there's no narrative. So now it's just purely like, did I enjoy the puzzle? You know, so then I start really inspecting the puzzle and being like, that's a good puzzle or not as good of a puzzle, but still great, you know, like, or, you know, great, but as good, some are yes. great, some are awesome, so on and so forth, right? And it was very intriguing in this game. I think comparatively what makes these kind of sometimes a turnoff versus narrative games is sometimes I do just want to have, like, sometimes narrative can, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean, I, I'm not great with wording on this. I'm going to say it's filler. It gives me time to think and relax because there is narrative. Sure. So I get to like think about it more and enjoy that aspect of the game and kind of relax on the thinking about the puzzle aspect, you know, because it's like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to read a little bit. And this lets me like relax and just have fun thinking of the story. And then we'll jump in the next puzzle. Well, when I'm doing these more style of games or puzzle hunts, there's no break unless you make it. So you're almost like forced. I wouldn't say forced. I'm forced into being like, I have to finish this puzzle. I really don't want to take a break now. You know, while when we play other games with narrative, the narrative lets you take comfortable minutes to breathe, it feels like. That's super interesting that you say that because mine, my thing about the good and the bad is along the same lines. And it's, I don't, I don't even know if it's necessarily good or bad, but I can't binge games with no narrative. Yeah. Unless, unless I'm binging from a competitive True. element, right? Mm -hmm. But this cards of confound if we had tried to play this all in one setting i don't think it would have been as enjoyable if we had broken it up same thing with what i was talking about like last episode i'm playing that game on steam called the pedestrian yeah when i bought it i thought it had narrative yeah it does not it's purely just like a it's, puzzle game but it, but it's really well it's put in a really cool environment that moves you through different in spaces i would say sure. but an hour into it i was like I'm spent. Yeah. I cannot and do not want to do this on a regular basis. And I honestly wonder, and this will be our last question for the section is, I believe that this is something that video game developers and game developers long ago discovered in terms of how to get people to play their games over longer period of times. Because if you think back to Pong or some of these things, a game element is fun for a certain period of time, but I would say that either a competitive element or a narrative will keep you playing longer. Do you agree or disagree? And that's why we see video games that are more so like stories. Now they think like, I think it's hilarious that uncharted is now a movie Yeah, and was 
one of the most narrative driven video games of all time. And now it's a movie like that's hilarious. Like that's how far that spectrum has come from. Oh, don't let the dot get past your line to even the world that we live in now with these at home puzzle and mystery games. Like the narrative is so present and it feels like that's what 99% of these games are. Cards of confound feels like the outlier. Yeah. No, I understand. Like I said, I, I make this connection a lot, but I just, cause it's my experience. It's like, the same thing with video games. There's certain video games that I can only play for so long and some I can play forever. And like Final Fantasy is cool, but it is a very long narrative experience. Like I think just playing the newest expansion, it was like 60 hours and most of that is cutscenes. you know? So it, it's very much more of a like narrative based game. And it's really crazy how they can tell the story and it keeps you more into it because the gameplay is still important, but they let you take enough breaks. So you don't feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Like you said, like with more classic style games, while there are games that you play that it is very much like a, I could only play this for an hour before I like am tired of it because there isn't like a really a break. I think of that with certain, like I'm going to say card games in my opinion, like certain card games that I personally can only play for so long or like a Ram on league of legends. After some point I get bored of that same thing over and over because there's not really any, like it's just playing the same. See, but I think you're saying the inverse of what I'm saying. Really? Yeah. I think you're saying that, after a while of narrative, you're spent. I guess I am saying it that way. It, it depends. I think if there's so much narrative, I can feel the same way. I can be spent by narrative. But which one? I'm arguing that like a narrative, I'll play a game longer with a narrative. What's I'm saying? So you're agreeing, agreeing with it. Okay. I'm just, I'm, because that's what I'm saying about like specifically like ARM and League of Legends is I can only play that for so long because there's nothing else other than just me playing my character sure. the same thing over sure. and over again. I'm agreeing with you. Got you. Statement. Yeah. I thought you were saying like, man, I could play zombies for a whole day. And I'm like, oh, no, I play that for an hour and a half and then I'm and done. then you're good. OK, yep. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm excited that we get to throw more uh, video games and digital content into what we have going on here. Oh, geez. It's Welcome to Zach's uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy 14 story review. That'll be a that'll be a separate podcast. But hang around if you want to hear from our creator, which I definitely recommend you do. He's a wonderful individual. We have questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Jared here again, asking you to keep your eyes peeled this month for your chance to join our email list. Signing up will grant you access to our Puzzles Almanac, which will be emailed to you quarterly. This almanac houses the latest in games, reviews, and discounts to all the games that you love. Additionally, anyone that signs up will automatically get three free digital games to enjoy with your friends and family. Keep those eyes peeled, Puzzling Company. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in our last section of the show called Questions for Creators, where we get to meet the awesome creators that make the games that we love to play. Today is no exception. I don't want to waste any time. This person comes to us from across the pond, as it were, here in the States. And uh, I just want to dive right in and get to know him. So tell us your name, about your company, your Kickstarter that you launched. How did all of that come to be? I'm Jonathan Dice, which is a terrible name to say in English, but in fact you would say Jonathan Dice. I'm studying clinical technology. I live in the Netherlands. I'm a second year bachelor student and I'm just having fun, enjoying life. Before my studies, I was in high school and in between the two, I had a gap year and I was traveling Southeast Asia and just having a lot of fun and traveling around. Uh, but to further that, I had a couple of years, a uh, couple of months of 
of just working before. So I was working in a, in a restaurant, working in a supermarket and everything. But during all working and just working late hours, I was kind of mentally bored. <laughs> and I had a crazy idea I had for a long time of building my own puzzle. And that was kind of the moment where it all clicked together. And that entire summer, I was just puzzling and creating puzzles and thinking about what kind of subjects I want to, wanted to make. And just that is where the Cards of Confound grew. So I started designing. I teamed up with a friend of mine who was an amazing artist, and she made some, some drawings for me. I was thinking about all the puzzles and how they would interconnect and what it, what it would create. And then uh, after a couple of months of, of work and late hours and working during the day and then working on the Cards of Confound during night, this all happened. And I was so excited. I was so psyched when the Kickstarter actually happened and when it, my dream became a reality and it, it was amazing. So the Cards of Confound, we, maybe I should introduce that first and we're getting ahead of the story right now. Cards of Confound are seven, uh, seven cards. You can, you can play each of them separately. You can just send them off. You can send them by mail. You can do whatever you want with them. But on the front of the card is uh, a, a themed puzzle, which has a central theme for puzzle that you're going to play. Each card is quite a long puzzle, I guess. Maybe you guys will have something to say about it as well. But I, I think about an hour, depends on how quick you're on whether you, you, you use uh, hints or not. So it's kind of your own uh, puzzling style. And it is interconnected with hints on the back of the card. And you kind of have your own journey over there. There will be no guidelines whatsoever forwarding you to the right direction. You're just having fun, solving puzzles, and looking for some really tough questions to answer. That is the Cards of Confound, and that was how it started. Jonathan, can you kind of tell us where you draw your inspiration for when you made these? Well, the style of the puzzles was kind of related to other puzzles that I've already played and loved. I was just going backwards and thinking, okay, which puzzles did I play? Which puzzles did I love? What did I love about them? And that kind of inspired a way of thinking that is perhaps the bit of personality you found over there. But the central theme of each card, so like sea, books, and uh, nature, and Netflix, kind of things like that, those were all just themes I like. I, I was just thinking, okay, what do I like in life? What, what would I like to learn more about? What would I like to draw more about and just think and share with others? And what are fun environments to make some puzzles in? And these were the ones that rolled out. And I was just, okay. When Once I had a theme, I started thinking, okay, using all of the puzzle experience I've had, what, what can I make with it? What can I, what kind of options are there to create a clever hint or some letters or some numbers or some uh, some other things. And that is how it all started. That is how I themed the cards and thought about the puzzles. And it's just one big sketchbook and my, <laughs> my passions in life. I'm always super interested to know with our creators why a certain style of game is appealing to them. Why is this more research puzzle hunty style of game? Why did you decide to go that way with the cards? More people ask me that actually because the cards three really are tough. They are not like for the, the, the average puzzler, they will just think, what, what the hell is going on here? But <laughs> I always myself love the puzzles which seemed crazy, where you had no guidance whatsoever. There are just a couple of clues scattered around, and you know you have to do something with it, but you don't know what to do. It is infuriating. You're just 
gambling around. You're just writing down random things and hoping they will end up get, coming to a conclusion. But the point when you do finally reach that conclusion and everything just kind of comes together and makes starts making sense, that is what I always find the most satisfying. So for me, puzzling is always the harder the puzzle, the sweeter the solve. And if it's like scattered around, you, it makes no sense at all. It will be so satisfying when it comes together. Because I like that kind of puzzling style myself. It just felt natural to go along in that direction when designing the cards. And it's just the way my brain works as well. And then I started playtesting it on some people. And it is kind of a Slack group who really enjoyed and played through without hints. But I, I still think that some people really like it. So in Cards of Confound, there is no narrative. So can you tell us the reason why you decided to do no narrative? Yeah, we took, already talked a bit about this, but it's kind of what, what I just said is all true. I, I started designing the cards by having a theme in mind and designing the puzzles for them. And that kind of made me and made my entire inspiration for these cards that, that jumped out of it. And once I finished, I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> I forgot the narrative. But it, it felt a bit weird to start adding a narrative because it's conventional and because it's every puzzle, almost every puzzle I've ever played, excluding crosswords, had narratives. So it kind of felt compelled to start adding a really thin narrative on them or some cross-references. But I stopped myself because it, it felt like I was... Yeah, it, it just felt didn't feel right. I, I didn't feel like I was doing right by what I already had created because the cards already existed. So it would be weird to start adding a really thin, like conflicting narrative on top of it if it didn't really add something to the cards the way I designed them. And I just thought, okay, why not? We'll just do <laughs> do puzzles without a narrative, and maybe people like that. And it does give you the opportunity to send individual cards to people without any story whatsoever. I mean, you can play through the cards yourself and then you can think, okay, this puzzle is kind of something for my friend over there. And you can just send it all over the world. I don't care. You can, I, I love it when more people play the cards. And for those like that, it's a pro, more approachable for people over the world. And you can just send them up, uh, up after you're done. So that was kind of the whole idea behind the no narrative. And that's why I never added one. Jonathan, if I said, I'll give you a million dollars if you make me a similar game, but you have to have a narrative in it, what would that narrative be? What story is in there that maybe you've been playing around with it? You're like, yeah, I'd like to do a story game on this. I have no idea whatsoever. I mean, the whole point for me is to just think about think about something and see where it goes. I have to, that's, that's how I designed the cards. Like I just said, I, I started with something, a, th a theme, and I, I think about it. I think, where can I go with it? So there is no narrative that comes to my mind right now because then I would already have like the entire puzzles in my mind. But when I start designing, I can think of someone, a person, object or place, and a narrative would grow from that, I guess. But for now, I'm too busy with school and just <laughs> other stuff. Uh, to to design a new series or a new cards or a new game whatsoever. Can you tell us a little bit about the future for your company and kind of what you've kind of thought about making next? I just don't have too many because the, the cards started when I had a couple of months free and I just could devote all my time to the cards. And afterwards, a lot of nights when <laughs> things started rolling again. But it's more of a, a hobby to me uh, to play puzzles and to make them as well. 
then it is really my job or my my income. So it's more of um, a fun thing to make and a fun thing to see other people love it. And that, that's why the cards are still running. That's why sometimes you print them as well. I mean, I don't get that many orders, but sometimes an order drops in and it's just fun to send my cards all over the world and see people play them. And that, that is just the amazing thing. So I'm not really thinking business-like for a sequel or anything like that. But once I have some time, I, I might. <laughs> Maybe I'll make a narrative-based option. It just had an amazing idea that I'd like to incorporate. <laughs> and uh, we'll see what life brings. And Jonathan, we're super interested to know what other games would you recommend to our audience? Again, this can be board games, puzzle tale style games that we cover on the show, or maybe even a video game. Maybe it's a bit boring, but I love I love the classics. So Tale of War, Rita Orlov is an amazing puzzle creator. And Jack Fellows, Cryptogram Puzzle Post, I even have his t-shirt. It's a big, <laughs> I, I would have worn it now, but it's not here. <laughs> Seriously thinking about that. Uh, I love that. Um, the Enigma Emporium, of course. They also made the postcards, and they, they have amazing puzzles. I have all of their games, I think. Annual Cryptex Hunt. I love it. Maybe that's where some of the ideas got from. So the kind of way of thinking, you know, the separate puzzles, not really a storyline, but something on the background and really tough ones. Yeah, kind of identify with that, but they are way better. It's crazy. The, the team that makes the Cryptex sound is amazing. And Errol Elmer is just the most amazing puzzle maker. But um, things like that, I guess. So maybe a bit of a boring list because most people would <laughs> go for it, but I love those games and they're just so well made. And there is so much, so many, so much thought put into it. I can really appreciate that. Thanks for having me anyways, but should you feel interested in the cards or should you wish to try them out, you can just go to cardsofconfound.com. I have my own website over there. You can buy a digital version. You can buy a, pl- a real printed version. You can just see if you like it. You can always contact me for any questions whatsoever. <laughs> I think I think you as well, right? You love just chatting with people about puzzles anytime. Yeah, he's nodding. He's nodding. <laughs> so please do. I, I always love to talk to new people, meet new people, and I uh, we'll just see where life takes us. Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We had a blast getting to know you. I always tell all of our European creators that. Zach and I want to get over there one day and go do a puzzle pint, go do an escape room. So hopefully one day we can share that experience together. That'd be fun. If you're interested in playing Cards of Confound, you can go to cardsofconfound.com. You can pick a set of these up. They do ship internationally. You can also find uh, Cards of Confound on social media. Leave them some good feedback, a like. That would be super helpful to Jonathan's mission. Zach, how can uh, people help us on our mission? That's a great question. There are multiple different things you can do to help Puzzling Company. The first is you can support us on Patreon. There'll be a link to that in the description notes below, as well as you can find it on most of our social medias, that link. The other things you can do is you can go follow us on social media, go to Facebook at Puzzling Company or Instagram at Puzzling Company. And the last thing you can do, very simple, is go leave us a five-star review. Go to wherever you listen to this episode, if that's Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, wherever. If it has a review system or a rating system, leave us that big five-star review. We'd very much appreciate it. Yeah, that would be super helpful for us. That just allows more people to find us when podcasts are getting better reviews. They become more publicly seeable. 
that would be a dream for us is for somebody just searching the podcast, say, Oh, puzzling company. What's all that about? And then they find us and now we have them ensnared in our web and they have a backlog of games that they'll never get through as long as they exist. Okay. (laughs) That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That is going to wrap us up for today's show. Zach, we have kind of a milestone coming up next week because we're doing something new. We are. Yeah. Which I guess makes that not a milestone. Because we're just for the first time. I think that's a poor usage of the word on my part. It's okay. We're doing something new. There we go. Which we're very excited about. We're actually going to be playing Dracula's New Friends. Ooh. It is a, it's an avatar based game. Yeah. From our friend Jeremy, who we got to meet at Recon this past Mm -hmm. year. Very excited to have him on the show and talk about his game. Before we head out, uh, we just want to give a shout out and a thanks to Ryan May at Chipped Cassette Studios for all of his editing work. We've really enjoyed it over the last year and a half. Well, I say year and a half. For the long time we've had Ryan, it's honestly been great. So if you're looking for any editing work, that's a great person to try to get in contact with. Yeah, primarily audio can do some video as well. Ryan does a really good job. So we appreciate him. Be sure to check him out. Well, that's really going to wrap us up today, Zach. Any last thoughts? No, my head's pretty empty right now. That must be a nice place to be. For now, yes. For now. Until I overthink later, <laughs> for sure. Saving space for later. Yeah. Well, we're going to catch y'all later. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Globe Media Network Podcast.